Hello and welcome to Media Made, the show in which we, year by year, explore the movies, music, and TV that most invaded our lives. I am your host, Rod, <laughs> and I'm joined by... <laughs> the magnificent, wonderful Duchess of Today, also known as Jess. You got a big old title today. <laughs> I've you had must... a hard day. <laughs> you will give me my royal title today. I've say... done a lot of good things. I was going to say, you must be excited for the movies we're going to no! talk about today. <laughs> No, I just need to remember that I am of nobility. <laughs> All right, so if you this is your, if you're new to the show, what we do is we take a look at a list of every movie. This episode is movies in 1987. We take a look of every movie released that year and decide which one each of us have watched the absolute most. Yeah. Start to finish the movie that most invaded our lives. Uh, it gives us a, you know, an interesting uh, perspective on what built us as human beings. Spoiler alert. Jess is not excited about this episode. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because sometimes the movie of your year is not one by choice, but it is thrust upon you by, by the consequence by the people you live with. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, yeah. So two movies we're going to talk about today are released in 1987. We've watched them the most. So let's just jump into it Ta-da. with uh, Jess's movie of 1987. Get it out of the way. Released <laughs> June 24th, 1987. Starring Bill Pullman, John Candy, Daphne Zuniga, and Joan Rivers. Written and directed by Mel Brooks. We have Spaceballs. Pardon me, sir. I have an idea. Corporal, get me the video cassette of Spaceballs the movie. Spaceballs the movie. <laughs> oh, man. Not the film. <laughs> yeah. Uh, tell me, why is Spaceballs your movie in 1987 if you claim to hate it so much? Because I don't know good people. <laughs> this was a movie that, like, I watched because my uncle liked it. I watched because my friends like it. I watched... I, I remember specifically, like, one of my best friends in high school, Grim, like, loved this movie. And if you're listening to this and you say that is a lie, you're lying. You're wrong. I watched this movie so much. I didn't like it then. I didn't like it upon rewatching it as an adult. <laughs> but I've seen it more than anything else. That came out in 1887. 1887. <sighs> the only. Year, the year of our Lord. <laughs> the year of our Lord, 1887. 1987. Yeah, so, I mean, so, did you watch it first with your family? I, I honestly cannot remember. Yeah. I don't know. I want to say maybe, like, because I feel like there was an era, because I said my uncle, because my uncle, there are movies that I've watched just because of him. But this is probably also my dad, and there was an era where we were watching, like, a lot of Kung Fu Into the Fist, and <laughs> which I think is a better movie. Me saying that, I remember laughing a lot at it, but I have not watched it again you in, like, Kung 12 Pao, years. Right? Kung Pao Into the Fist? What did I say? Kung, Kung Fu? Fu? Yes, it's Kung Pao. Yeah. It's Kung Pao Into the Fist. Kung Pao. Yeah, no, I, I I remember the first time I saw this movie. You see, I was I was a Star Wars fan as a little kid, and so were a lot of my friends. And so, like, we just would consume Star Wars related media, mm. right? Because it was just a big thing for us. And th- I'm not even talking like the 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 prequel trilogy that was releasing when I was a child. No, 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 no. We were obsessed with the original trilogy of Star Wars. That somehow does not surprise me. Yeah. Um. So like. I remember going to my friend Michael's house and he had this on DVD or VHS or something and he put it on and I had never heard of it before and we just watched it and certain things stuck with me, other things did not. (laughs) Um, And like looking back, I think it's safe to say this is a movie that is not as good as the sum of its parts. 
I agree. It's like there are so many great little jokes and things that you can quote um, and like stuff you chuckle at when you're like, oh, yeah, I remember that one little moment. That's that's hilarious. But then when you sit down to make, you know, to watch the full movie, it just doesn't hold up as a movie because it's trying to be a movie. Yeah. So I remember, I guess I'll just play that clip right now. Like, uh. I am your father's, brother's, nephew's, cousin's, former roommate. What's that make us? Absolutely nothing. Which is what you are about to become. Gosh, that, that scene like is really like quiet and slow when you <laughs> when you watch it when you just listen to it. But yeah, no, I quoted that like line to my friends for years. Mm. That was like the only line I remember from Spaceballs from watching it as a kid, and then I had to rewatch it. Again. Like I rediscovered it as an adult after it like aired on G four or something. <laughs> And we decided it's just your cousin's roommate, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because your your father's brother, uh-huh. who is your uncle, his your brother. Your, your I am brother's... your father's brother's nephew, which is your cousin or your brother. Yeah, former roommate. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, as anyway, you, <laughs> as you can tell from that line there, that this this movie is basically just a parody of Star Wars. And I think that that like is interesting to me. Not that it's a pair of Star Wars, just because my family is more of a Star Trek family. I mean, there's... Than, than anything else. Like my my dad does love the original Star Trek. What the original Star Wars movies? Yeah. Um. But like in general, our family as a whole is like Star Trek. Well, I mean, this movie is also a parody of Star Trek. What the hell are you doing? The Vulcan neck pinch? Oh, no, no, stupid. You got it much too high. It's down here where the shoulder meets the neck. Like this? Yeah. <laughs> fair, fair, fair. They that's also a, have that's that great, Scotty. That's a great moment. Yeah, they do have Scotty. Snotty is what they call uh. him. He's a very Scottish man <laughs> who beams him up. No more beaming. Um, anyway, so this movie is from the warped mind of Mr. Mel Brooks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Mel Brooks hit it big with a string of comedies. Uh, his, you know, his first movie nominated for Oscars, uh, The Producers. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Which we uh, saw in uh, we saw a the playhouse. Mu- yeah, we saw the musical adaptation by like a local production which was great except we had never seen it before and i was sitting next to my mom and there's a lot a lot of jokes in there that i was like oh i'm sitting next i, to my I came mom. to find out that the the play is much more homophobic than the movie is huh yeah anyway i haven't seen the movie but i've heard it's excellent we tried to watch it once but it's we just, did and i just couldn't do it it's it's very very it does have one great song it's very crass yeah. Um, anyway, and it's then two great songs. Yeah, <laughs> and then he followed it up with hits like "Blazing Saddles," which is a parody of westerns. Uh, "Young Frankenstein," which is a parody of like Hammer horror movies. Mm. Um, "History of the World Part One," which is excellent. It's making fun of every like historical epic of the time, like Ben Hur and <laughs> uh, Lawrence of Arabia and all that good stuff. Um, and then here we are, eighty-seven. Um, he hadn't made a movie in six years. He followed it up with Spaceballs. Um, so I, I guess... a choice. Yeah, yeah. So 1987, uh, just to give an idea of where this is in history and what it's making fun of, Star Wars by George Lucas, released in 1977, ten years before. <laughs> Massive success, helped change the landscape of cinema for years to come. 
Um, and then it spawned two sequels relatively quickly. 1980, 1983. After that, George Lucas was like, eh, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go count my money over here. <laughs> Scrooge McDuck. He sounds like Kermit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm George. I'm going to try to make a Howard the Duck. <laughs> you know? So George Lucas just Gosh. like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm done with Star Wars. Uh, I'm going to move on and do different things, right? And so he kind of left Star Wars in the like hands of like lesser people, like lesser talents, I guess, you know? Why like, are they lesser? I, I don't, you know, they're not the movies. Okay. You know, like Star Wars, it's basically, you know, it's it's secondary. Oh, 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 oh you mean like no longer on the silver screen, but like, right. got it, got it, got like, it. Secondary sources, right? Then. You had the, the, the cartoons, like mm. droids and Ewoks cartoons in the 80s. You had books. Comic books, novels, and, and that's really, like, and some, like, arcade games. Yeah. Like that, and, and like NES games. That was it, you know? So, like, kids of the 80s, you know, it felt like if you were, like, a kid in the late 80s, like, Star Wars was, like, kind of a fad that had run its course, you know? It was like, yeah, you have a passing knowledge of Star Wars, or it's it, it's kind of like in its twilight years, mm-hmm. you know, at, at this time. So, Mel, I think, was a little late to the party when he made Spaceballs. Yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like he would have found, more, he it would have been more successful for him if he had made it just a few years earlier. Yeah. You know, if this had come out in, like, 85 or 84, I feel like people would have, like, yeah, absolutely. Let's go make fun of Star Wars because it's the biggest thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it was a little late to the thing. I like, as you were talking and you were talking about like the lesser things and stuff like that, which is important. I was thinking about uh, a close, a dear friend of mine, uh, name redacted. We could call her BB. BB? <laughs> yeah. BB8. BB. Oh, okay. Hey, BB8. I'm going to change her name in my phone. So, BB, who loves Star Wars loves Star Wars, loves it. Like, that was the first thing we connected on ever. Like, did her own, maybe not fan fiction, but did a lot of fan drawings and stuff like that. I kind of want to text her right now and be like, hey, what are your thoughts on Spaceballs? Uh, I mean, go go for it and we'll report back. If, I know. If, if she responds just... back by the time... We're done recording yeah, this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, she's going to take care of that. Let me run down some of the interesting production notes that I discovered. So, Mel Brooks... Develop Spaceballs to be as close to the original as possible. Which, I mean, implies to me that he did watch Spaceball or Star Wars. He did watch it at least once because he wanted to make a direct parody to Star Wars. But um, I'm going to you know put a pin in that because I don't think Mel Brooks is re- necessarily a Star Wars fan or has really like watched Star Wars more than once. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway... Brooks worked with George Lucas and his company, Industrial Light and Magic, to produce the film. The story goes that Brooks said he was afraid to get sued by Lucas. <laughs> so he sent him the script and said, hey, can you take a look at this? Can I make fun of Star Wars? And George was like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> and uh, apparently George Lucas said like he loved the movie and he's like, that, that's, you know, that's great. I, I love it. I'd love to do it. But don't make any action figures. Because mm-hmm. people are going to confuse them with mine. <laughs> <laughs> so Mel Brooks agreed, I won't make any merchandise for Spaceballs. And George Lucas gave him his blessing to make the movie and offered the services of ILM to produce like the special effects. Huh. So this is very much a, a marriage a marriage of Mel Brooks and George Lucas. And that, that's that's really it. You know? yeah. he, Mel... This is the making of the movie. Yeah. It was, I mean, considering like how much intellectual property was at stake in its own way. Yeah, this is the smoothest thing. Right. <laughs> that's the thing. I, I feel, that's why, I'm, like, at this time, like Lucas, I don't think like had 
maybe he wasn't aware of the reverence of Star Wars. Like, to him, it was just like, yeah, it was a thing I did. Mm. He didn't even direct the last two movies. Yeah. Like, he, he was, like, the mastermind behind them, but it was just like... I finished that. I'm gonna do. A, a yeah, new, he was like, thing. I'm gonna do a new thing. Yeah, like this we, is we, fine. Yeah, we talked. We thing. talked about Labyrinth in 1986. Yeah. Like you know, he's out there, like you know, it, putting his creative juices to other endeavors. Mm-hmm. Um, when he came back to his baby, because yeah. that's what's made him the most Scrooge McDuck money. <laughs> so uh, let's. Why don't you run down like maybe maybe the characters and the maybe not even the plot because. I have, a, I have a file here, an mp3 called Plot. <laughs> I'm just going to play it. Once we kidnap the princess, we can force her father, King Roland, to give us the combination to the air shield, thereby destroying planet Druidia and saving planet Spaceball. Look at camera. Everybody got that? <laughs> Look at camera. Everybody got that? <laughs> it's, that's it? Yep. That's, that's the air quotations plot? <laughs> yeah. Um, we just have like... Our cast of characters is a Han Solo. Uh, He's like a mix between Han Solo and Luke Skywalker. And his name is L- Lone Star. Yeah. He's, oh, I thought you were going to play it. I, I don't have a clue. Okay, Honestly, yeah. like, like, Lone Star is like... He's like I think Bill Pullman does a great job playing the character, but like yeah. he's very like that character's not very, he doesn't have any like lines like that are quotable to yeah. me. Yeah. Like I don't have any like real quotes from Lone Star other than him and other characters together. Yeah, he's just kind of a a there. Yeah. Which I think I mean, right? Like I feel like the archetype of what Han Solo is supposed to be, besides the fact, hey, yo, any of you Star Wars people don't come from a neck. But he's just supposed to be the, the, the Gaston. He's the, the handsome guy he's a rogue. who can do all the things. Yeah. yeah. So it's just kind of like, yeah, you're really just here to look pretty. But in Star Wars, he, he has more than yeah, just yeah, that. Yeah, in Star Wars, he's, he's, a, he's a scumbag at the beginning of the movie. He's mm-hmm. a pirate of bounty. You're not a bounty hunter, but like a, like a smuggler, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think this movie does a good, like the idea of what Lone Star is, is he's, he's a schlub who lives in a flying RV with his like best friend, yeah, you know, and that's it. And like they just fly around and do smuggling, I presume. Yeah, they borrow money that they can't pay back. Like <laughs> you know, so it's like it's the same archetype as as Han Solo, but more modernized. Yeah, like making fun, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then his uh, buddy, his best friend, is Barf the dog. What are you? I'm a mog, half man, half dog. I'm my own best friend. Played by John Candy. <laughs> Wait. Well, he's he's so lovable. John Candy. Both of yeah, both Barf and John Candy. I want to give them a hug. Aww. but one's called Barf. <laughs> uh, yeah, and he is basically the Chewbacca. Chewbacca. I would say he's more Chewbacca mixed with Luke than I would say Lone Star is. Yeah, he's he's very like innocent. Yeah, like you know, Chewbacca is like a dog, right? Like he he is. Chewbacca was like modeled after George Lucas's dog. Uh-huh. Okay. Um so he's very like I don't know, like pure, like mm. like an animal would be. But Chewbacca's more like, you know, threatening. Like John Candy is just like he's a, he's a friendly fat guy, you know, or a friendly frat mog. Frat, frat boy. Yeah. Frat mog. And very uh, much so. He he and so he, I think in a in a you know, Luke Skywalker kind of way, he is very innocent and naive. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why I'm like, yeah, yeah that yeah. guy. Ooh, our other cast of care. Those are, I guess, our heroes. Um, our, we have our damsel, who is a, a princess. Princess Vespa. 
Princess Vespa. I also don't have any quote, quotes for her because she's even more forgettable than yeah than Lone Star. Yeah, yeah. She, she's a Princess Leia riff off, but she like here's she's closer to um, Princess Buttercup from yeah 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, she's stuck up. She she like is obsessed with clothes and hair things and her nose her nose. <laughs> Um, and, uh, she's, she's protected by her C-3PO style yeah. droid protector named Dot Matrix, which is a very 80s Name. reference. Mm. Yeah. I had a, I had a Dot Matrix printer. Did you know that? Oh, I did not know that. I, I don't even know what a Dot Matrix it's the, is. It's the, the printers that have like the little like oh, dots on the side, uh, like the holes and you have to like yeah. kind of tear them off. Like, so yeah. I remember printing stuff for school and having to tear off. The sides of the paper. I remember not doing that, but having the paper and drawing on it. <laughs> well, I'm none of that, mister. I fought it again. What do you touch? What do you touch? Nothing happened. What the hell was that noise? That was my virgin alarm. It's programmed to go off before you do. You get back to bed, miss. Ew. And as for you, sex fiend. <laughs> as for you, sex fiend. The dot Matrix is played by... Uh... By Joan was Rivers. Voiced by I, John Rivers. I love Joan Rivers. John Rivers. John Rivers. Joan. Voiced Joan. by Joan Rivers. Yeah, which we, is she's perfect. Yeah. She's she's perfect in this role. She's <laughs> like this annoying C three PO style like robot lady mm-hmm. uh, who is nagging constantly. Uh, yeah, so that, that's that's the the good side of the spectrum. Yeah, and the the real stars of the movie. Yes, we're gonna mention the. Um, Darth Vader last because we got a lot to say about him. Yeah, but before yeah, yeah. that, we have a commander general that's played by uh, Mel Brooks himself. Oh yeah, that's President Scroob. Yes, I don't have any quotes from either. Me like, neither. Yeah, uh, but I guess he's the like Count Zuku. Yeah, he's like the emperor. Emperor. Of, of Star I don't Wars. know anything that's as fine. much as I've had to watch. Star- I don't. What are the names? He, he's the Emperor Palpatine of Spaceballs, where he is the president of a planet that's running low on oxygen. So they need to invade another planet and steal its oxygen. Um, and in order to do that, they want to steal the princess and hold her hostage. Yeah. And uh, Mel Brooks plays this president. He's a bumbling, like, it, you know? Yeah. Not unlike certain other presidents around here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, he's very self-centered. People make fun of him. No one respects him. Yeah. Basic. Yeah. Bumbling idiot. And, you know, yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the main bad guy ship he's is... large. Uh, is very large. It Comically is. Comically large. <laughs> so, yeah, he, it, it's captained by uh, Colonel Sanders. Mm. <laughs> Just another character. and But but the real star of the show. What's his name? I can't think of the character's name. <sighs> his name is Dark Helmet. Dark Helmet. Got the Darth Vader style breathing. So... It, Basically, a Darth Vader guy with a giant helmet. I can't breathe in this thing. So that's how he, he enters in, like Darth Vader does at the beginning of the first Star Wars, and he's like breathing and looks menacing, even though it's kind of a tiny guy with a giant helmet. Mm-hmm. He takes the helmet off, and it's little Rick Moranis in there. And uh, for the most part, he he spends the whole time outside of the movie with the helmet off. Yeah. Um. And uh, we love. We love Rick Moranis. We, we love Mick Rick Moranis. We love Dark Helmet. And yeah. I want to just spotlight. Yeah. He the, carries the movie. Yeah, he does. <laughs> Every scene he's in is a winner. Yes. Uh, so I, I just run through it. Like, what, what are some qualities you enjoy about Dark Helmet? And His shortness. <laughs> what are your favorite? His shortness of breath. I like, 
he's just he's just great he's like owning these things it's still corny and terrible in general but like um when he he's like bumbling in the best way when he's just like what how are you supposed to see anything on this this radar machine oh that's not you call this a radar machine no we call this mr coffee Ah, yes i wanted coffee what's the matter with this thing what's all that churning and bubbling you call that a radar screen no sir we call it mr coffee care for some Yes! I always have coffee when I watch Radar. You know that. Of course, of course I, I do, sir. Everybody knows that. Of course, of course we do, sir. Everybody's a, everybody's a yes man for this idiot, even yeah. though everyone kind of like makes fun of him behind his back. Yeah. Gosh, like, the, par- just the parallels between Dark Helmet and a certain other <laughs> Mad King that currently uh, ruins our life on a day-to-day basis are uncanny. Yeah. Like, he, he makes a clear mistake, and he covers it up by saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I meant to do that. I meant to do that. <laughs> but, yeah, like, he's just like, it's it's that thing that we all do when we're not in seats of power, where we're just like, we do something really, like, it reminds me, last week, I was at a new place to get food, and it's COVID, um, and so there was, like, a kiosk to order off of, and it took me seven whole minutes. What is that? That's... That's how many, how many seconds is that? That's like <laughs> way too many uh, while some other people are around me to figure out how to order a hamburger on this kiosk. And I was like, uh, I was about to just give up. And then I figured it out. And then the very helpful person behind the counter behind me was like, you got that all figured out? And I was like, yeah, yeah. I was just looking at the options because, you know, I wasn't, mm, yeah. <laughs> like it didn't take me seven minutes to order one sandwich. And that's why I like him because he's bumbling in the way that we all are like, oh, I made a stupid mistake. Just cover it up. Even though it's really yeah. not that big of a deal. And it's it's a funny take on Darth Vader. Yeah. Right? You're like, Darth Vader is like evil incarnate or, you know, he's like the ultimate symbol of bad guy. Yeah. Right. But, you know, it, it's, it's, he's also a, a cartoon character by this point in like the late mm-hmm. 80s. He's a cartoon character. He's on lunch boxes. Mm-hmm. And, and it, I had a Darth Vader coin bank. Right. <laughs> it's like he, he's, he's, he's a joke. Yeah. Yeah. yeah by yeah. the late 80s. So it's fun to make fun of Darth Vader yeah. in this way. And uh, he hates his, uh, his subordinates. Careful, you idiot! I said across her nose, not up it! Sorry, sir. Doing my best. Who made that man a gunner? <laughs> I did, sir. He's my cousin. Who is he? He's an asshole, sir. I know that. What's his name? That is his name, sir. Asshole. Major asshole. <laughs> and his cousin? He's an asshole, too, sir. Gunner's made first class Philip Asshole. How many assholes we got on this ship, anyhow? Yo! Yo! I knew it. I'm surrounded by assholes. Yeah, we gotta get that last bit in there. <laughs> and it's just a lot of fun. He's just he's just fun, and he's just like can't take him seriously. Yeah, because <laughs> he he's also almost childlike, right? He's a short man, like you know, so he's he's short in stature, and he's got like the small man complex, like mm-hmm. a Darth Vader would have. But he's he's like an infant, yeah, in a lot of ways. Like there's this this is another scene that stuck with me after I watched it as a kid. He's he has captured the princess, and to celebrate, he goes into his room and plays with dolls. Yeah. Now, Princess Vespa, at last we are alone. Oh, no, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, leave me alone. Yet, I find you strangely attractive. Of course you do. Lord, help me, what? <laughs> you need it on the bridge, sir. Knock on my door, knock next time. Yes, sir. 
Did you see anything? No, sir. I didn't see you playing with your dolls again. Good. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, he gives me some like real cat bug vibes. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why he's just so lovable. Cat Rebecca. Rebecca. Nope. <laughs> it's just, it's great to watch. And Rick Moranis, as an actor, he's just, like, kind of tops for me. Yeah. I love him. I, I think something about this movie is, it. there's a lot of great parts, right? And, and I feel like Mel Brooks is a student of comedy, and he loads up his movies with a bunch of different types of comedy, right? Mm-hmm, Fortunately, mm-hmm. some work, some don't. And yeah. I, I feel like this movie doesn't meld them as well as, say, a Blazing Saddles would. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like the high points are, like, super high with, with uh, like, Blazing Saddles, right? And then even the stuff that doesn't hit for me, I feel like it's put, like, it's put forward in such a way where it becomes funny. Like, there's a, there's a scene in Blazing Saddles where a bunch of characters sit beside a campfire and eat a bunch of beans, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's what people did in the, in the old West. Right. Is they ate beans next to a fire. And it's a fart. It's a bunch of fart jokes uh. for like 10 minutes, just a bunch of fart jokes. And it's <laughs> like, I, I don't necessarily find fart jokes funny, but it goes on so long that it becomes absurd. And then it becomes funny mm. to me. Yeah. 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 Um, so that's, that's what I think Mel Brooks does best is he takes different types of comedy melds them together mm-hmm. and it makes like a very strong mesh so and this movie has it all it has yeah. all the different types of comedy we'll, we'll run through some examples i guess what do you got pun let's talk about the what is it the word, lowest form of uh, word, wits wordplay word wordplay and we heard it with the the the, the a-hole <laughs> yeah Cap- captain a-hole yeah there's a lot of like little like pizza because it's pizza the hut yeah uh instead of java the hut and there's like like puns scattered throughout. Like I can't think of any. I, I, ha- I have some? I have okay. a few. So okay, one, one of my favorite jokes is the heroes get stranded in a desert, much like uh, mm. you know the droids do in Star Wars. Like they land, they crash land on a desert planet and have to traverse the desert, right? And then the the the, the, the space balls, the bad guys, chase after them, and they're searching the desert for the the heroes, right? Right, you just said this, and I just just in case you didn't know, spaceballs are the race of these people. Yeah, spaceballs are the the the. They are the people who want to steal the oxygen. They are called the spaceballs. Yeah, they're the bad guys. Yes, like where we would planet spaceball, planet spaceball, and their inhabitants are called spaceballs. Yes, as we live on Earth and we are called Earthlings. Yes, there you go. Sorry. So anyway, they're searching the desert, and so Dark Helmet instructs his subordinates to comb the desert for mm-hmm. the heroes, right? They get comically large combs for your hair and comb the desert. Are we being too literal? No, you fool. We're following orders. We were told to comb the desert, so we're combing it. Found anything yet? And they, you know, pan over Nothing to a group, yet, couple guys with a giant comb, and they're you? like... Not a thing, sir! Then they pan to a little comb, like a hair pick. What about you guys? We ain't found shit! It's it's a couple of black space balls combing the desert with a little pick, which is funny. Yeah, it, it's it's a word. It's a play on words mm-hmm. with combing the desert. It's a race joke. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's like so absurd that mm-hmm. I was like, that is a perfect joke. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, no, yeah, you yeah. laugh every time. 
<laughs> I, I do. You like it, and, and it works. Like yeah. that's okay that it works. Like I think I laughed the first time. I thought it was funny. It was just like ah, oh, that's that's clever because it is. It's a pun, and it's also a little like random humor. We'll talk about more later. Like it's it's funny. And then on the other side of the coin, you get a bunch of like plays on words that to me don't quite land. So we're introduced to a character named Yogurt. Mm-hmm. He is a parody of Yoda from yep. from Empire Strikes Back. Um, so they are introduced to. To yogurt, and this is the the exchange. Yogurt, you heard of me? Heard of you? Who hasn't heard of yogurt? Yogurt the wise, yogurt the all powerful, yogurt the magnificent. Please, please, don't make a fuss. I'm just plain yogurt. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> He's just plain yogurt. Just plain yogurt. There's a lot of that. Yeah. So it's like Mel Brooks. He said, "Hey, I, I have this character named." We, we got Yoda. How do we, you know, what, what do we name a character that's making fun of Yoda? Let's name him Yogurt. Okay. <laughs> now we can make a bunch of jokes about yogurt. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's kind of basic. Yeah. 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 And, it, and it's stuff like that. Like, that falls flat. Like, I like puns. I, I like play on words. It's, it's one of my favorite forms of humor. Not yours. <laughs> you don't like him. Yeah. Um, it, it veers too quickly into dad joke or like popsicle stick I humor. I am a dad joke with <laughs> legs. Oh, gosh. I just love it. It's great. But like nothing in here hit me. And part of it is probably just like sour taste in my mouth because I've always hated this movie. But even like watching it, like opening, because a, a lot of the things that we have to do with these series is because there's some things that I've had to watch because of my beautiful, lovely, amazing, cute, attractive husband that I do not like and I don't want to watch. And I have to be like, okay, I didn't like this as a child. My humor has changed. Maybe I'll like it. And there are times where I'm like, oh my gosh, that's hilarious. That's so funny. This was not one of the things for me. Yeah. So like, even with the puns, like even with the comb thing, because I knew it was coming, it just didn't, uh, it didn't land. And it, like for most of it, it didn't land for me. And that doesn't mean it didn't land for a lot of people, because obviously I watched this way too many times as a child because it landed with a lot of people that were around me. Um, what else you got? We have random humor. Random humor is um, the best humor. Yeah, yeah, honestly, like, I think the, the time that I laughed, um, the more, nat- most naturally is when, uh, the guy from Police Academy oh, was yeah. in. I do have that clip. I'm having trouble with the radar, sir. What's wrong with it? I've lost the bleeps, <laughs> I've lost the sweeps, and I've lost the creeps. The what? The what? And the what? You know, the bleeps. This guy's making all the, the sound effects with his mouth, Spence. as he does in Police Academy. And the creeps. <laughs> That's not all he's lost. <laughs> that is funny. Yeah. It's not all he lost. Like, in that, it's just like, oh, that's funny. Because we recognize, I've never seen Police Academy, but I know who he, that, yeah, yeah, that yeah. man is. Yeah, yeah. And I was just like, oh, he's going to make sounds. And it was fun. He, he In that scene, you can hear him, like, um, like try to fight not laughing himself. Mm-hmm. Like, I could tell that they're all having a great time on set, at the very least. And, and like, other types of random humor. Like, I don't have any clips from it, but at the end of the movie, uh, the, the heroes prevail, and they initiate, like, a self-destruct sequence on the bad guy's ship. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And so all of the space balls have to evacuate and get onto a, uh, like... Getaway pods. Yeah, get on their, their, their escape pods. The problem is, like, Dark Helmet, Colonel Sanders, and President Scroob can't get onto a, a, an escape pod because every other inhabitant on the ship 
is running at the same time as them. Yeah. And the ship is like comically large. So there's a bunch, there's like a circus on board. Yeah. And like, so. A bear. Yeah. So like, there's like a, like a, a, a guy in a bear costume who will like sneak onto an escape pod yeah. in front of them. They run up and there's like a, a, a person and he's like, who are you? I'm the bearded lady. <laughs> and like she just smacks him and gets him to escape pod. It's great. Yeah. And it's just like, one joke after the other yeah. it just keeps happening. Yeah, and that's fun. Like yeah, it's just yeah. like, ah, who's gonna show up next? Because this is a very large ship. Right. Um and even at the end, like when it's like three, two, one, have, have a, a nice, nice day. day. Right. Thank you. <laughs> Boom. And it's like, okay. Or even like the thing that we opened up open with, right? Like, oh I know, sir. Get me a copy of Spaceballs the well, movie. No, that's that you gotta you gotta save that one for the, the reference humor or the meta humor. Okay, yeah, 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 right. Um, I guess we're talking about it. What? Well, I mean, we can, but I still have on my list parody humor and bureaucratic, but we brought up the a-holes things. Which yeah, yeah. Okay, I feel like President Scruben and all the Spaceballs deal with bureaucratic humor, where mm-hmm. it's just like the same jokes, like that a-hole joke could work in the army, could work in an office building, yeah. uh, supermarket, you know, like yeah. it, it just works in any place. So I feel like that there's, there's a little too much of that, where yeah. it's like... All a lot of these jokes could easily just not be in a Star Wars parody. It could be in anything. <clears throat> yeah. Also, like the the joke at the towards the end when the king gave the passcode and it was zero 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 zero, and then Dark Helmet's like, "That's the kind of code an idiot would put on their luggage." And then the president comes in and they're like, "It's zero 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 And he's like, "Huh? I have that code on my luggage." And it's just yeah, more of the same. Right. And it's right. It's just like, uh. <laughs> it's like yeah, that that's kind of funny, but it. It has nothing to do with Star Wars, right? Mm-hmm. That could have easily just fit into a sitcom. Yeah. We talked about reference humor or meta humor. So that that is a staple of Mel Brooks movies. Famously, the end of Blazing Saddles, like there's a chase scene and the chase ends up at the premiere of Blazing Saddles, the movie at the, at the cinema. <laughs> so the main characters all run into the movie theater to watch the end of their movie. Or like to see how it goes, or, or or like they they crash the premiere of their movie. It, it's weird. So mm. they he, Mel Brooks loves this meta humor where they're constantly winking at the camera or just breaking through the fourth wall. So we mm-hmm. yeah we opened with the the spaceballs the movie bit. They pull out a VHS tape of spaceballs to see where the the heroes have run off to. They're yeah, like, it's perfect, sir. We'll just get the movie and we'll see where they are or where they've gone. We'll just skip ahead. What the hell am I looking at? When does this happen in the movie? Now. You're looking at now, sir. Everything that happens now is happening now. And they're looking at a screen showing what they're, what, what we're seeing. Yeah. What happened to then? The past then. When? Just now. We're at now now. Go back to then. When? Now. Now? Now. I can't. Why? We missed it. When? Just now. When will then be now? Soon. Soon. <laughs> that's all very clever. Yeah. Um, and... and, and it is clever. Again, for me, it goes on just a little, little too long. Little which too for long. you, like, not not that you like in this, but there are moments, like you said, that, like, sometimes it just pushes into absurdity, absurdity and becomes funny. For me, yeah. it's like, I'm done with this. It's like a, like, a fam- like a good family guy joke will, like, go from, like, being funny initially, then it, like, wears out its welcome to not be funny anymore, but it still continues to go on Far enough where it becomes funny again because the joke is now this has been going on for so long. Yeah, like the... <sighs> yeah, exactly. Or the mom, mommy, mom. Mommy? Yeah. And, and, and I'm sure 
uh, Seth MacFarlane got a lot of you know his inspiration from Mel Brooks because mm. um, they they both love old Hollywood stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a there's a great little joke at the end. I don't have the clip of it because it goes on too long. But um, they do an Alien parody. Oh yeah, they're, yeah, yeah. They're at like a like a bar or like a diner. That just was not the right place to put that scene. Yeah, either. but it's a fun. It's a fu- that's what I'm saying. It's like it's a funny joke by itself but in the context of the movie it just seems like weird yeah um and disjointed but anyway they're at a diner and they're they see the cast of alien sitting there you know like not like a like an approximation of the cast of alien including one guy who is from the movie and they're all sitting there enjoying themselves and one guy like starts having convulsions he's like and he they they prop him up on the, the the bar and an alien pops out, a chestburster from Alien pops out, and it like they're all terrified. But then it puts on a little hat and a cane and sing, baby, and sings, hello, yeah, baby. hello my baby, hello my honey, hello, hello my mama, yeah, <laughs> it just dances out, and they're just like, what? <laughs> I'm like, check please, check please, um, and and that's it's like it's an absurdist thing, it's a, a, a parody of Alien, and it's like. A, a toss up to old Hollywood, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all of it in run. The Mel it's Brooks a, trifecta. It's a bagel. That's not a thing. I was just thinking. I was like, "What's a wrapped up thing?" But all I can think of is uh, stuffed grape leaves. Yum. Mm. <laughs> um. Okay. So, like, with that, right? Like, I, I like that we like ended there. Like the how much goes on, especially in that scene. I remember thinking uh, we may I may have said it out loud that I was just like, I wish this scene had been placed. Before they got the call from King Candy. That's not who he is, but his voice makes me think of King Candy from Wreck-It Ralph. Yeah. Um, uh, so that, like, it would make more sense to me, like, in how the lineup went. But there was just, like, there were parts of the movie that were hard for me. Like, characters for, like, we, we already opened with, like, they're forgettable. I forget their names. I forget Dark Helmet's name mostly because I just referred to him as Rick Moranis the entire time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but otherwise... Um, it's just it's it's hard because everybody they did a good job acting. Every, everybody does a good job playing their role. Yeah, wonderful. Like I don't want to like, but like they they do their job in this comedy. It's just some of the side plots, right? Like right. we were talking about. Um, it's it's like Mel Brooks maybe felt obligated to like include include things in the movie that didn't need to be there. Mm. The love story. Yeah, the love story. Like the movie has a, a love story in there, and it just feels forced. Yeah. Yeah, because even because it's all in one movie, right? Like I think that even with the Star Wars, the love story wasn't really a love story until somewhere in the second movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but since we are approximating all of it, even though it's technically still just the first movie, um, yeah, but, more or less. But yeah, it just felt like we were. I okay. I have um, a tough time. Like when people are like, "These actors have no chemistry." I'm like, "I don't know what you're talking about." <laughs> I'm like, "I'm not paying attention to that." Usually because like, unless I'm watching a romance, I do not pay attention to the romance portion of anything. When yeah. I'm reading books, or I'm just like, "I don't care." I want to see what's happening with the friendship. I want to see what the adventure is. That's just not where my focus is. Unless that's what I'm here for. Um, Lone Star and Vespa have no chemistry. They have no chemistry. They have none. Like I, I have some clips of them together. And uh, I think I've opened with the one where th- this is the ce- this is the meet cute, right? This mm. is probably the scene where they have the best chemistry because they're playing off each other in a way that makes sense for their character. You listen, on this ship, you're to refer to me as idiot, not you, Captain. I mean, you know what I mean. And you will not call me you. 
You will never address me as you. You will call me your royal highness. You are a royal pain in the... Whoa, hold it, time. Right, it's, it, it's them arguing it's, with each other. It's yeah. like you've got the, the, the frat bro idiot. Yeah. Like schlub. And you have like the, the whiny, full of herself princess. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Those two archetypes clash with each other. Make some magic. Make some comedy gold. <laughs> but then they try. They they try to do the Mel Brooks tries to do this flip ningling. Yeah, where where now they have to start falling in love with each other. And from there, it's like, man, I, yeah, <laughs> I don't know about that. Like here they are, starting to get the the hots for each other. I guess. I guess. Stars are... start to see each other in a different light. Yeah. So how come you ran away from your wedding? Well. You must know I wasn't in love with the groom. Why were you going to marry him? Because I'm a princess and I have to marry a prince. Ah, and he doesn't do it for you, huh? No, he doesn't do it for me. It seems like from out of, out of a different movie, to be honest. Yeah, it does. And it's like, I, I'm like, I'm sitting here and I'm listening to it. And I'm like, I could like sort of believe, like when you're watching yeah. it, it's just kind of like, okay, I guess this is what's happening now. It's just weird. And the movie takes a full stop to do this stuff. Yeah. yeah it just like doesn't feel organic. It, like I said, it just like feels forced. Like, the movie has to come to a, a stop to get this scene out of the way. Yeah, and then also, like, when they're talking to each other, it just, it's really flat. It's really flat. It's just really yeah. flat, everything they're saying. Because, like, even when that first clip, because I know that we were talking about it, when I was just like, what does chemistry look like? What do you mean? Uh, and you were like, you I'll, were like, um, <laughs> Lone Star and uh, Barf have a lot of chemistry. Yeah, Bill, Bill Pullman and, and John Candy have way more chemistry than Bill Pullman does with the, the female lead here. Yeah. One million! Space bucks. We'll be able to pay our feet to the hut. Give me paw. That's guy love right there. <laughs> yeah, like guy love. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, it makes me think of like, guys, that's a bromance. I love you in the most heterosexual way. Yeah. <laughs> bromance all the way with with Lone Star and Barf. All right. Yeah. No. And I. Uh, well. Uh, go ahead. You can say what you want, but fan fiction says something different. <laughs> Um, well, no. What does that say? But <laughs> we're not going down that road. Oh no. <laughs> but like um even in the yeah because like like if we were to pull up the lines of of what um they were talking about in the desert I like even you and I could read that with more oomph, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. than what was here and I think that like it just it falls so flat because even like when I think about the conversations between um, the uh, Princess Vespa and eight dot eight Matrix dot Matrix dot Matrix, um, they still they have more like fun. It's, it's just it's like it's so weird. Yeah. So it's just kind of like, I not that you're like if you're here for Star Wars propaganda, prop what parody, <laughs> you get it, I guess. Yeah. But if you're here for the like. I don't know. It's just, it's a weird inclusion. Like, they shouldn't have done it. I agree. And they didn't have to, because, like, the the changes that they make with Vespa, even in that, like, well, I mean, I guess, where she, like, gets her hair singed, and she just pulls out a gun and starts laying down fire. How was that? Not bad. Not bad for a girl. Hey, that was pretty good for Rambo. <laughs> yeah, you know, like... That they're like you didn't have to have a love story. You yeah. didn't. You just, just have just have like the the uppity princess become a, 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 a 
kick butt princess, you know, yeah. chick. And then, like, she goes back and she's like, yeah, I'm not going to marry this sleepy dude. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. I definitely agree. Anyway, that, that transitions to the next point. The fact that Princess Vespa has to go through this very traditional, by-the-numbers, love plot, mm-hmm. love whatever, um, shows to me, and I, I'm going to make this point, I don't think Mel Brooks really, like, either cares about Star Wars that much, or has, like, really seen Star Wars. He's obviously mm. seen it once. Yeah. But it's, like... Ten years before he made this. Yeah, maybe. That's, <laughs> a, that's what that's what I want to ask, because, right, Princess Vespa, like, Princess Leia. She's a princess. Uh-huh. But in, in, in Star Wars, like, her being a princess really doesn't mean anything. She's a diplomat. <laughs> yeah, you never see her kingdom with, yeah. other than when it's exploded. Um, you don't see her people. She's never referred to, like, she's never, like, held up, you know, as anybody regal. She's just a diplomat or a politician or, like, a war general. Yeah. Um, princess really means nothing, but Mel Brooks took Princess Leia too literally, and Princess Vespa is a... Royal princess from like a she, who lives in a castle with mm-hmm. her very regal looking king, yeah, has to marry a prince, very sleepy prince, yeah. It's it's not Star Wars, yeah, it, it's just your voice went a little bit plinkety. It's not Star Wars, Star Wars. <laughs> so that that's what I want to ask like, do you think this movie is an effective parody of Star Wars? What would you name, what would you point to at as an effective parody that I've seen? Because I haven't seen Blazing Saddles. I have seen... you seen his other movie, um, Robin Hood, Men in Tights? Yes. Good movie. I think that's a good parody of, like, the the Robin Hood movie that came out a few years before that. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, very, yeah. like... Yeah, no, yeah, it's not an effective parody. <laughs> I love Robin Hood. Spaceballs, isn't yeah, yeah. Spaceballs is not an effective parody, right. especially in, like, place next to, like, I love Robin Hood, Men in Tights. Right. There are like, things that, quote... All the freaking time from that movie. Or like, I'm, I'm like Edgar Wright. Lincoln. Edgar Wright's Hot Fuzz is a great like parody and pastiche of like action movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like the love and care that Edgar Wright puts into and like even Shaun of the Dead. I know you don't care for I Shaun of the don't Dead, like it. but you can tell that Edgar Wright loves the zombie movie genre mm-hmm. and wanted to make like a movie that makes fun of the zombie movie genre, but also is a great example of a zombie yeah. movie. Yeah. Spaceballs is not a good example of a space opera type movie. Agreed. Or a science fiction movie. It's just kind of like a movie that feels like somebody like, yeah, science fiction has this stuff, right? Yeah. Eh. Yeah. Right? Like he's, he's capable of better. Like we're right. not yeah. trashing him as an artist. You could, it's like that time in college when I like for the first semester was writing like crap papers because I could and it was like freshman year and then the next semester I had the same um, teacher for a different class and I liked that class better so I was writing excellent essays and he pulled me aside and was like did you copy this from someone did you do this I was like no I'm a writing major I can do this he's like oh so this is what you're capable of if you ever write anything lower than this I'm not even I'm giving you an f and I was just like okay like Mel Brooks can do a work and this is c minus yeah i agree i I do think there's one aspect of star wars he i I think he felt passionate enough and put in the movie and i feel like that's where he maybe he started but he didn't build a very good movie around Mm -hmm. right there's again this is a movie not as good as some of his parts there's some great nuggets in there everything with rick moranis is great but a lot of this stuff is just like needless stuff that just doesn't land the one thing i think he started with was Late 80s, Star Wars, only exists as a marketing, merchandising machine Mm -hmm. in the late 80s, right? So, Spaceballs makes fun of that. The yogurt character, that's all he does. (laughs) Merchandising! 
where the real money from the movie is made. Space Falls the T-shirt. Space Falls the coloring book. Space Falls the lunchbox. Space Falls the breakfast cereal. Space Falls the flamethrower. <laughs> Working flamethrower. Last but not least, Space Falls the doll. Me. <laughs> so he's he's then and then from that point on you just see Spaceballs merchandise everywhere in all of the <laughs> like the toilet paper bed sheets like it's everywhere and that that's a funny joke yeah that Spaceballs merchandise exists everywhere in this movie because in the late eighties Star Wars merchandise existed everywhere and that was the only thing keeping Star Wars in the public not you know public sphere yeah was Star Wars merchandise so I think. This is just a theory. Mel Brooks saw that Star Wars was like basically just a <clears throat> shellless marketing machine at the time. And he's like, I want to make fun of that. But the problem is he, I don't think he effectively built a good movie around it. Yeah. He had that fun part and Rick Moranis. And those were the good parts. Right. <laughs> uh, Again, all the actors did wonderfully. It's just. It just didn't work. Just it, didn't it's work. unfortunate. Yeah. Because everyone did good. Yeah. All that being said, um, BB got back to me. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, but she didn't really... I just asked, like, what are her thoughts on the movies? If it's terrible or funny. She's like, I watched it once a very long time ago. I personally didn't think it was very funny, and it kind of felt like a waste of my time. Mm. <laughs> and she said, are you trying to decide if you're going to watch it? I was like, nope, already <laughs> did that. <laughs> so she is... Uh, this is one of the, the biggest Star Wars fans we know. Yeah. Not a fan. Not, not a fan. This did not... This parody did not work for her. Right. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about where Spaceballs went from here. Um, the movie was not not really well received at the time. Uh, it was mediocre. Mediocre reviews. Grandpa Ebert said, uh, <laughs> I enjoyed a lot of the movie, but I kept thinking I was at a revival. It should have been made several years ago, before our appetite for Star Wars satires had been completely exhausted. I'm like, you nailed it right on the head, M- M- Mr. Ebert. One time, Grandpa. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah, Ebert has some hot takes. This is a good one. Uh, the the film won Worst Picture at the inaugural Stinker's Bad Movie Awards. Oh, I thought you were going to say at the... What is that? The Golden Razzies. No. The, it, it wasn't even nominated at the Razzies. Huh. Leonard Part 6 won Worst Picture there. <laughs> I've never seen that. The Bill <laughs> Who's Co- Leonard and why does he have six parts? <laughs> it's a Bill Cosby movie I've never oh. seen. Uh, I've heard it's one of the worst movies ever made. Well, it did yeah. win Razzies. So either way, like, Stinker's Bad Movie, I, I think you should uh, look a little harder. Because <laughs> Spaceballs is not the worst movie. It's just not very good. Yeah. Spaceballs was developed into an animated television show. What? Which debuted in 2008. On G4. Wow. I watched the premiere. Why? <laughs> because you were that I, guy. I, in 2008, I was watching a lot of G4, and this was, hey, we're coming out with a show, and I was like, I've seen Spaceballs. Let's let's see that. It's terrible. Just, <laughs> just, this deserves a stinker's bad movie award. <laughs> this show was awful. So uh. bad. Um, and then the, there's always been talk of a sequel, but, you know, just stuff always gets in the way. Why would they need a sequel? Uh, oh Rick, my gosh, I just want to see an Rick Moranis going. I hate sand. <laughs> do, do a do a parody or do a do a prequel? Uh, and all the music is done by Weird Al. Oh man, that wasn't Weird Al in this movie. That's a good question. Weird Al should have been in this movie. That's fair. Um, anyway, Rick Moranis has said that he wants to make a sequel called Spaceballs Three: The Search for Spaceballs Two. <laughs> I and, love Rick Moranis yeah, and uh, Bill Pullman. Said this year, 2020, that it's up to Mel. Ask him if 
ask him if he has too much money, and that's why he doesn't do it. <laughs> I was like, you're throwing shade at Mel Brooks. <laughs> Mel Brooks isn't desperate enough to make Spaceballs too. That's fair. Also, like, maybe he wants to enjoy his retirement. How old is Mel Brooks right now? Oh, man, he's got to be in his 70s or 80s. Right? It was yeah, like, yeah, yo, he's... let me chill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me use my money for good. And then... No he... movies are coming out right now anyway. Here's an interesting uh, legacy for Spaceballs. Tesla Motors, run by nerd man Elon <laughs> Musk, has used the Spaceball Starship speed. So you've got light speed, Ugh. ridiculous speed. What's the oh, crap. What's the last one? Uh, I, I, I can play the clip if you need do it. Do it, because I can't think of it right now. Prepare ship for light speed. No, 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 light speed is too slow. Light speed too slow? Yes, we're going to have to go right to... Ludicrous speed. Ludicrous speed. Ludicrous speed. <laughs> so apparently, um, that inspired the name of Tesla's acceleration modes. In homage to Spaceballs, Tesla has a ludicrous speed for acceleration beyond its insane speed and plaid speed. <laughs> Why plaid speed? Because that's also in Spaceballs. Yeah, I just also was like, but why plaid? Go on plaid. Anyway, that's that's really all we can talk about with Spaceballs. Yeah. We talk, we've talked enough already. We're going to close out with the the, song, the the theme song for Spaceballs by The Spinners. And, uh, they spun some plates. Yeah, we'll, see, we'll be back soon with uh, my movie, 1987. <laughs> Turn after these messages. Now, the greatest special effects movie ever made. Spaceballs. With strange aliens. Each of the hot. <laughs> Magical powers. How can you do it? And amazing creatures. Watch what you're sticking that thing. <laughs> Mel Brooks. John Candy. Funny. And Rick Moranis. <sighs> Spaceballs, rated PG. Now playing. Check newspapers for a theater near you. Alright, we're coming back in with the Sultry tones of one little Richard. <laughs> uh, it's a tutti frutti. Oh, Rudy. Um, why Why are we listening to this 50s classic to talk? Because 86, 87 was a bad year. Uh, not bad. Just, just, uh. Just not good. Just not, not great, yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, this is, this, this song actually is, uh, featured in my movie of 1987. Released July 13th, 1987. Featuring the voice talents of Deanna Oliver, Tim Stack, Thurl Ravenscroft, Phil Hartman, and John Lovitz. Based on the novel of the same name, we have The Brave Little Toaster. Brave Little Toasty! So, what's in our lineup today? What are our instructions? What do you mean, what are we going to do today? The same thing we've done for the last 2,000 days. Chores! Chores? It'll be fun. Was it fun? Yeah. Did we have fun? <laughs> no, no, we didn't. I just, I just, kids, I just want you to know that we've 
We did not set out to do this as a podcast. We set out to do this as a couple's exercise. A couple's exercise. So everything that you're hearing and seeing, once we decided, oh, we sh- this would be fun as a podcast to share with the world, we were like, oh, man, we're very far from the start. We're going to have to re-watch and listen to everything. Yep. I... Did not want to watch Spaceballs again as an adult. And I definitely didn't want to have to watch Brave Little Toasty again. <laughs> uh. Brave Little Toasty. Did you watch this as a Bravish kid? Bravish Toasty. Um, I think that I've... Yes. But I think that I only saw the second one. Or technically the third one. Yeah, yeah. So like there, there, there were two sequels and they were released in separate orders depending on where you lived. The... U.S. got Brave Little Toaster Goes to Mars first, whereas the U.K. got Brave Little Toaster to the Rescue first. Yeah. It's confusing. But they're both sequels to this little movie called Brave Little Toaster from technically 1987. I'll get into that in a second. Oh. Yeah. Um, so If you tell me I've watched this movie. No, no, no. no, no. I didn't, so, Hold on. We're having, a, we're having so, a domestic right now. So I, like everybody, watched this movie on VHS tape. I don't even remember when we got it. I don't remember asking for it. It just was there in our house, and I watched it. You were bad, and Santa gave it to you instead of Kohl's. Probably. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it was just a movie that, because I had a bunch of Disney VHS tapes. I had, you know, a ton of VHS tapes, Mm -hmm. and and this was one of them, and I watched it a lot. So, like, just the opening, like, we rewatched it, and, like, just the sound effects and the music, I was like, ooh, hit hit the nostalgia button on my head, you know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then I we got Brave Little Toaster Goes to Mars, and that movie's not as good. Yeah. And I um, don't look back on it fondly at all. Yeah. And I, I never watched the third one. I feel like I only ever watched that one. I know, because I know I've seen bits of him on Mars. I, you know what? I don't think I've ever watched a full toaster movie. Until me. A full strudel movie before you. <laughs> well, let's break this movie down. Because uh, you know, it broke us. It, it did break us. No, um... This mo- like this movie is fascinating on a production level because mm. so you, you've heard of like six degrees of Kevin Bacon, mm-hmm. right? It's like everybody can connect. You can connect anybody in show business back to Kevin Bacon in like seven steps or less. Yeah. You could probably do the same thing with this movie because <laughs> every creative mind um, from the 80s and 90s is like two steps away from this movie. <laughs> it's crazy. Everyone touched it. Yeah. Um, okay, so it's based on a 1980 novel by Thomas M. Dish called The Brave Little Toaster, A Bedtime Story for Small Appliances. Okay. I, 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 it was published in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction. Um, it sounds like a joke novel to me. <laughs> but maybe it's making fun of children's books. I don't know. I didn't read it. But the film, was, D- Disney at the time was buying up the rights to like every prospect like story they could get their hands on so like 1980 they bought who framed roger rabbit Mm -hmm. before it was even published (laughs) so i assumed like it's like hey we got a movie with cute little appliances as characters buy it buy it go go get it like don't bother coming up with your own stories just recreate ones that are already there yep so walt disney bought it in 1982 um it was and then it was like you know being developed as an animated movie at walt disney during this time Animators Glenn Glenn Keane, who worked on several films during the Disney Renaissance as a character animator, you know, so Aladdin, Mulan, all, all those, you mm-hmm. know, Lion King, like that period. He worked on he he worked on several of those movies, 
and a, a little animator named John Lasseter. <laughs> Do you know who that is? No. He went on to uh, be a, the, one of the founding members of Pixar and then later ah. promoted to the like head of all of Walt Disney Animation. Oh. Yeah. Um, they expressed interest in adapting the book as an animated feature. Um, and so John Lasseter at the time was interested in 3D animation, right? Because mm-hmm. like the early 80s was like this budding time where uh, computers were starting to be used to create like 3D objects and people right. thought that you could make movies out of them or, you know, plug them into existing movies. So like in 1986, we saw 3D animation in both my movie, which was American Tale, and mm-hmm. your movie, which was Labyrinth. So yeah, yeah, yeah. computer animations were on the rise. Yeah. Um, so... Lasseter and Keen had the idea, let's create a movie where all of the characters are 2D animated, like normal, right? But they all live within a 3D animated space. Mm-hmm. So all of the backgrounds would be 3D animated objects, whereas all the characters would be drawn over Onto it. them. Yeah. And that sounds super interesting. Um, I guess they did a test using uh, characters from the Where the Wild Things Are. They created like a 3D house. With the little boy with okay. like his little costume, like mm-hmm. running through the house, and the three D house was like moving around and changing perspective as the little boy like ran around and as, as a two D character. Oh, sounds super interesting. Uh, Disney thought, "Hey, that's really cool. Who's gonna pay for that?" <laughs> <laughs> and I guess asking the real question. Yeah, um, Disney, like a bunch of executive as Disney said, "There's no point to do three D animated anything unless it makes our movies cheaper to make and faster to create." And they basically, like, after the pitch, they brought Lasseter in and said, you're out, bro. You're out, bud. Aww. They fired him for that pitch. Bye, Lasseter. Yeah. But John Lasseter, he, you know, he, 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 uh, he recovered. Bounced back kid. He yeah. ended up getting a job at Lucasfilm mm. with George Lucas and his, an- his 3D animation team that would end up becoming Pixar. So, there you go. All right. Con- another connection to George Lucas. Right. <laughs> um... Development of the Toaster movie was later transferred to a little independent company called Hyperion Pictures, which was a company founded by former Disney executive Tom Wilhite. Okay. Yeah. It's it's like people constantly think of Brave Little Toaster as being a Disney movie. That is not the case. Ah. Hyperion movies or Hyperion Pictures produced the movie and, 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 you know, did all the animating. Disney financed the film as an independent production. So it is an, a fully independent animated movie with money backing by Disney. Okay. And I think that's why Disney has largely neglected this movie beyond the like VHS release and the Betamax tapes. Because <laughs> we the, the version that we watched looks like crap. Oh, yeah. It's fuzzy. It's shaky. Yeah. It, it looks like someone recorded like off a TV screen in yeah. some places and the, the sound's bad. It's because Disney, they've released DVDs of this movie, but it's all based on like the Betamax version or the Laserdisc. <sighs> it's like, this movie has not been taken care of. No. You got Disney out here like scrubbing the dust off old like Cinderella yeah. um, it's films. Yeah, 50 years old. Ruining the line work for their 4K release, but they won't even touch Brave Little Toaster because <laughs> that maybe they don't fully own it. I don't know. Mm. But there's weird politics involved. So yeah, this is not a Disney movie. It is a Hyperion movie with Disney money. And I couldn't find proof of this, but I've always heard stories that because Disney was in such a tough financial situation around this time, and we and 
we, we talked a little bit about it when we talked American Tale. Disney was not doing well mm-hmm. in their animation division. Uh, like, their last few movies have been failures. Black yeah. Cauldron, so on, so on. So, I've heard stories that Disney animators who were out of work during the 80s moonlit to work on this movie. And that's huh. why the animation is so good. And the people, even though they had a very low budget, worked their butts off to make a good animated movie with what they had. Yeah. So, interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Go on. And then uh, to round out some of the people involved, um, the movie was written by Jerry Reese, who was a crew member on The Fox and the Hound and Tron at Disney, uh, and Joe Raft, who was chosen to direct the movie. John Raft. Joe Ranft. Joe Ranft. So yeah, that's that's really the the making of the Brave Little Toaster, I guess, is break break in. Guess what? What? I've got an MP3 called Plot. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly what I said. We're gonna go out and find the master. To the city? Yeah, no matter what. Well, how exactly would you propose we're gonna do that, exactly? I... I don't know. Oh, come off it. Be serious. I am serious. Yeah. (laughs) The plot is a group of appliances, a toaster, a vacuum cleaner, a blanket, a radio, and a lamp... All decide they're going to go find their old master by leaving their cottage, ro- rolling through the woods, and going to the city. That's it. That It's a road movie. That's it. It's it's Homeward Bound. It's Homeward Bound, except far less animals were hurt. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I guess we can break down the characters here quickly. Um, I, I mean, I don't have individual clips for all of them. Uh, I got plenty of clips of them arguing with each other. We'll get there. Yeah. But, uh... Yeah, yeah. We've got a grumpy vacuum cleaner named grumpy, Kirby. Yep, grumpy, grumpy vacuum. I don't have a clip for that um, yet. <laughs> we have a uh, lamp. Is it just lamp? I think it's, Does he have a name? Lampy. I think so. Lampy. I think it might just be lamp. I think it's lamp, radio, blanky, toaster, and yep. Kirby. <laughs> and blanky. Yeah, does it not say blanky? And blanky. I think blanky's the yeah. only... E. So those are the names. So, yeah. Sorry. My, have, my favorite character is the radio. Yeah. We have a rambunctious lamp, um, a noisy radio. Who, who a speaks, bratty. Yeah. He, the, the radio speaks in like old timey, like World War II era broadcast voice. Mm-hmm. I love this clip. This, this is the radio. Just a second. And that concludes our broadcast day. This is Lowell Winchell signing off. Good night, America. And to and all, all the, the ships, ships at, at sea. sea. <laughs> uh, He's constantly talking about like Teddy Roosevelt. And yeah. <laughs> Wait, I think I have that clip. Hold on. I love the radio. I have so many clips of the radio. <laughs> you can't do us. We love you. That's right. Like Mrs. Roosevelt loved her husband. <laughs> Why? Why not? Uh, and then we have the titular... Toaster. Yep. And, uh... Bravish little toaster. He's, he's he's sort of brave. Yeah, he's got a brave moment. Is it a is it boy or a girl? Um, why do we have to gender an appliance? That's true. I don't know. <laughs> the, it's voiced by a male. No, no, it's a female. Oh, it's well then, it's voiced by a female. Yeah. Um, oh, speaking... Of, so, basically, like, most of the cast in this movie were all ex-Groundlings, uh, the improv group. Connection to our previous... Years episodes, the Groundlings produced most of the cast for Pee Wee's Playhouse. <laughs> Pee Wee Herman could have been an appliance in this movie if he was in the right place. Just saying. Here's the thing. 
Yeah. You're bringing up Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> and I know you're going to bring it up in our music episode. We sure are. I sure am. Ah! We'll listen to 1986 TV where we talk about Pee Wee's Playhouse. No. I mean, yes. Go listen to it. But I never want to talk about it again. Uh, but like John Lovitz, who voices the radio, he was an ex-groundling. And uh, I guess he was hired for this movie right before he got his job at Saturday Night Live. And he was mm-hmm. like, I can't. I can't make your movie anymore. I'm, I'm working on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> it's like, well, why don't you come in and record it all in one take or like all in one sitting? Okay, and they like recorded into the night uh, all of the radio's lines in one in one sitting. Well, it's like John Lovitz lo- gotta love him. I mean, he got it done. This movie, it stinks. <laughs> that's that's his critic thing. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, those are all the things. What the characteristics, I guess, are. Right, like grumpy va- vacuum, baby blanket, baby like wimpy, wimpy. Yeah, but no, he's he's child- wet like, blanket, yeah, childlike, <laughs> childlike blanket. Um, I, I should have got that clip. Don't be a wet blanket. <laughs> uh, bratty radio, rambunctious lamp. Yeah, and, and uh, I don't. I wouldn't call the toaster like his overarching characteristic isn't brave he's like the little bossy (laughs) he's like the leonardo like the leader right leonardo and like the ninja turtles ah i thought dicaprio (laughs) no no he's he's like the optimus prime like the hey we got guys we got like almost happy go lucky but he changes and that's what i want to get into here this movie is so mean yeah. The characters are mean. The world is mean to them. Yeah. Um, and, and it's it's Life. weird. Life. <laughs> movies mean to my wife. <laughs> I said life. Oh. It is mean to your wife. <laughs> um, no, like, I don't even remember this movie being this mean as a kid. Like, I I, I remember watching it. I, mm. I literally just thought it was like just cute little movie about appliances going on an adventure and finding yeah. their, you know, finding home or whatever. I don't remember these like very like nasty arguments between these characters i have a bunch of mp3s just called mean <laughs> i guess i'll just play the first one I don't, I, they're not in any order i don't remember what they are but mean number one that's the blanket it's disgusting every time i can't believe it every single day give me that stupid picture no no i just put it away oh, in a garbage so they're just like yelling at each other, arguing, tearing things from each other. Uh, like that clip, the vacuum is consistently grumpy yeah. and mean. And I feel like that clip shows just how mean he is, mm-hmm. right? But like all the other characters quickly jump in to like insult each other. Yeah. But a dog has legs. Ah, don't be a wet blanket. Oh, there I got it. Actually, legs would help, you know. Brains wouldn't hurt either. Lay off. Yeah, pipe down, carpet breath. Carpet breath. Is that a sex thing? I don't know. <laughs> There's a lot of like weird insults <laughs> that they. Uh... What did they call the toaster? Uh, Lamp calls the toaster at some point a slot head. Yeah, yeah. I was like, is that racist? It is for toasters. <laughs> I'm just, like, so many go, go get our things. toaster out of the kitchen. I'll no, call it a slot. Absolutely <laughs> not. You leave that poor deer alone. <laughs> Ow. That's another thing about this movie is I, I think this movie and Toy Story like made me have this weird anxiety about mistreating my toys and, and objects in my home. Yeah, you're very careful with your things. I am. I, I, I like this is movies like this, like because 
oddly, you had chosen this week as well before we rewatched this to watch um, Toy Story 3 and then Toy Story 4. Uh-huh. Um, while I was sitting there and I was like, why are we doing this? But I couldn't leave because I was well, working I mean, on something. So, so, but it made me think like, and they wonder why our generation has so many hoarders. Yeah. Because we believe that if we leave anything that we ever owned even once, we are consigning it to slow rotting death. I remember I left my blanket, not 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 an electric blanket like this like this movie, but I left my blanket at my grandma's house one mm-hmm. time and I like thought to myself, oh, my blanket's so sad because I'm not there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're so cute. No. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's an interesting phenomenon. Yeah. I, I t- tell us if you've also experienced that. Yes. Also, I just want to say, I didn't realize until this watching of it that it blanket was an electric blanket. I don't know what I thought its head was, but I'm like, that's a knob. Also, why would you put an electric ba- blanket on a baby? Yeah. That seems like asking for trouble. Right. I don't know. I don't have kids. (laughs) Maybe that is a thing that you do. Yeah, well, okay. Let me play one more clip of these characters being mean to each other, and then we'll talk about the toaster. I thought it'd be good to have somebody come along who's really strong. And loud. And grumpy. And oblivious to reality. (laughs) They're all talking about the vacuum cleaner. Um, yeah, they all hate. They all hate the vacuum, and the vacuum hates everybody. Yeah, but I mean, they... the toaster tried to be nice about it, but also it's still very manipulative. <laughs> so, the the toaster, right? That that clip, I think, play is a good example where like the toaster is trying to be diplomatic. He's always mm-hmm. trying to pull the group together, be a positive voice. Yeah. Um, there's a, a montage with little Richard where they're doing chores and cleaning the, the cottage up, and like they're dusting and like the blanket. And the toaster are, like, being very friendly, smiling at each other, you know. It's very wholesome. Yeah. The toaster seems like the nicest character in the movie. Yeah. Then, like, at the end of the first act, we get this very strange scene. They've left the cottage. Mm -hmm. They're adventuring through the wilderness, right? And they have to stop for the night. Yeah. And the blanket wants to, like, find a a buddy to sleep with, right? And everyone's like, nope. (laughs) Go find your own place to sleep, you little fuzzball. That's the the lamp. I love that clinking sound. Yeah, mm, Foley is excellent. So that, that you you kind of expect the lamp to say, "Hey, get away from me, blanket." Yeah, right. And then the the radio does the same thing. Again, those are two characters that have seemed to be very uh, uh, selfish. Yeah. and mean. The toaster has not shown to be that way, especially yeah, not to it's the been blanket. Protective. This is his response to the blanket when the blanket nuzzles up to him. Come on, I'm not the master. Go snuggle somewhere else. I'm trying to get some sleep. Now go on. Yeah, you trash. Yeah, like even like listening to it, it sounds maybe like he's being like, go on, go sleep by yourself. It's okay. Like, no, it's just like uh, furrowed brows and like, get, could you, I'm, go away. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean. Maybe the tone of voice isn't doesn't sound me, but the, the the like the animation definitely makes it seem like I am so annoyed by your presence. Yeah. get away from me. I've spent all day on a chair with you, and I'm done being nice. So and, and you don't need to sleep on an inanimate object. So as a kid, didn't care about any of this, right? But yeah. as an adult, I'm looking. I'm like, where did this come from? Yeah, this is not consistent with the character of the toaster <laughs> we've been given up to this point. Yeah, yeah, at all. And and suddenly, like. Like, the next day, the toaster starts acting nicer to the blanket, and the characters start asking why he is doing that. So, uh, what's this thing with you and the blanket? What thing? You know, all of a sudden you're being so darn nice to him all of a sudden. 
Oh, that. Well, I was just thinking, and I got this feeling that I should be nicer to him for a change, you know? And now I feel better. Wow, that's weird. What's weird about it? I don't know. I mean, you were never this nice to him before. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. You're nice to him all the time, and I don't know. I'm, uh, I'm just trying to understand, trying to figure out, you know, exactly what it all means. Well, it's kind of hard to describe. It's like being next to a new loaf of bread. If you say so. Okay. <laughs> it's so weird. Is wait being meaning that's a good feeling for him? So yeah. Being that okay, okay, yeah. It's honestly just it's just weird. Ba it's like, bad. It's bad character writing. It's it is especially if it's supposed to be like for kids. Like you're supposed to get a lesson out of this, and it's just like you're always so mean to. It's like no, you aren't. Like we didn't see any meanness except for the one very mean pushy scene. So yeah, it's like they were trying to write this arc for this to toaster where he goes from being like, I don't care about this blanket to I, I should be nicer to this blanket. Mm -hmm. And that's not what happened. No. <laughs> anyway, it's so, just weird. Yeah, and yeah. tone deaf. So that, that's, I mean, the main characters are all mean to each other, um, even though sometimes they're like the toaster isn't. And then they, they always come, they always meet new characters on their journey who are mean to them. Um, I guess I, I we'll just transition under the character of the master because they meet the master kind of late in the movie. Yeah, that was like one of those weird things, right? Like because you see a picture of the master at the very beginning and then you have no interaction with him until about like the movie's 20 minutes from He, he shows up in like As dr a, dream sequences or fantasies and yeah. he's, he's like a little boy. Yeah, and then suddenly it's like, hey man, going off to college. I, I got it. Honey, are you taking enough underwear? Mom, you bought me enough underwear to stock the whole dorm, you know? You know? Do you have enough socks? Look, Mom, I'm not going to Jupiter or anything. I'm going to college. It's just college. He's a grown man going to college. Yeah, and it's just like the inclusion of it is so weird. I think this comes from the the book. I think they, they, they meet the master and the master is an adult man when they meet him. Yeah, I mean, and I get that. I think it's just kind of like... I don't know. For me, it's like uh, there was no inclusion otherwise, and it just was just like, and now we're here. But that's what most of the movie feels like. We're moving from set piece to set piece. Yeah. Uh, and they have no connection, but it's supposed to be the overarching plot. Like, we're going to get to the master. And, you know, I don't know. Like, how do they even recognize this grown man as this little boy? I, plot what? Plot, because plot. Because plot. Yeah. Um, like... As a kid, like this again, it feels like I was way more accepting of this movie as a kid. Like, yeah. as a, he's like, you're not discerning as a child; you just accept whatever's on the screen, right? But like now, I'm just like, it's so weird. Like as a kid, I didn't realize that time had passed, or that they um. they like the 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 characters all live in a cottage in the woods, mm -hmm. and it's like a summer home for this family and the master. <laughs> I I didn't understand that. Yeah. I, I didn't have a summer home, you know. I didn't grow up in the '80s. <laughs> have a summer home. Re Reaganomics ruined us. <laughs> no, um, and so when they, I was like, why do they need to go to the city from the master? Why has he not been at this house mm -hmm. for years? It's because this is a summer home, and I just didn't understand that. Yeah, it, it, it's just weird. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's hard to articulate. Just, no, 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 no. I get it. Like you're just you. Even though they're like, what are we gonna do? Same thing we've done for seven thousand days. Like it doesn't because it's just like all of a sudden like oh grown. Like you would expect them to be like finding a young Andy, right? You know because that's like how the our minds work as children. Like yeah, they're gonna go see this. Like you don't see anything else or any like 
But it's for kids, so I guess you can jump on it and be like, oh, I guess time has passed. And, and you the, don't care. the team didn't have a lot of money to make. Yeah. And animation is very expensive. It takes a yeah. lot of time. Yeah, it does. So if you're at, you don't have a lot of money, you don't have enough time, you just got to get what's, you got to get the important stuff out. And I guess it's just like, we got to cut some corners here. Yeah. But hey, you know, luckily they do, they do find the master and the master finds them. Yeah. This looks just like my old blanket. I think it is my blanket. Well, that's my radio. Hey, Chris. Oh, all right, in the lamp. Hey, Chris. Chris is, Chris is you, his, his girlfriend. How do you recognize a blanket that you have not seen? He rubs it on his sure. face after he picks it up from the trash. Yeah, it's in a dump on a, on a like, <laughs> turn. And this blanket has been through some stuff. Yeah. Like Rapunzel's hair, it has been dragged across. Ugh. Squirrels, like, dragged it into a yeah, hole. Yeah, little, like, field fell, mice. Fell into, a, fell into a, like, a stream, like a river. Yeah. In the marsh. Honey, go clean. <laughs> just go. He just mm. rubs it right on his face. It is my old blanket. Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> you can't really wash an electric blanket, can you? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, so they, they, they reunite with the master. and uh, Master Ma- almost dies. <laughs> he does almost die at the dump. Um, he's got a... Uh, like he he's he's uh he's got a girlfriend. They're yeah. a biracial couple. Yeah. Interracial couple. That's very nice. Interracial, yeah. That's very nice. Though she's just like, "Where are you at?" Well, what what happened? This is well, jeez. Somebody really trashed the whole cottage. You big dumbo, didn't you lock the doors? <laughs> she's even mean to him. Yeah. <laughs> Even you the, big even, dumbo. Even the humans are mean to each other. <laughs> that's that's where the appliance get it gets it. Oh, from. maybe yeah, yeah. yeah. You you expo- if you uh, let negative energy. That's why the master's dad's not around. <laughs> he was oh, mean to the wife. Hot take. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to think maybe like when once when, when a person dies in this world, like their soul inhabits an appliance. Oh, that's why like that. some appliances don't have. Like souls, it seems like they they like there's mm-hmm. a there's a fridge in the cottage that doesn't isn't alive. Yep, but a fridge in a different scene that is alive. Yeah, it's it's very odd. That one does not have a human soul yet. Right. Aye. Okay, so we talk about how movie this movie's mean. Let's talk about how it's dark. It is. It it does need a flashlight or two. Yeah. To get through. A lamp. A uh. lampy. Uh, so the mo- like the darkness in this movie. I, 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 let me let me preface this with the story. I remember I watched this movie a bunch as a kid, and then you know you grow out of it. You don't watch these VHS tapes mm-hmm. anymore. Um, I remember this being on TV. I don't know if it was Disney Channel or where this movie was airing. I, I must have been in high school, and I saw it on like the TV guide, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Oh, I remember that movie. Let me, I'm gonna, I'll put it on. I'll put it on to rewatch it." It was late at night before I was going to bed. Probably go to school in the morning, right? And I just put it on and watched it while I was trying to go to sleep. And stuff would happen. I was like, "This is terrifying." <laughs> And I'm like, how did this not scare me as a kid? Yeah. But I was quite like disturbed as <laughs> as a young man, like a, a, almost almost as the age of the master, I guess. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it all starts with the air conditioner, voiced mm-hmm. by uh, bo- voiced by Phil Hartman, uh, who's Ted from Jingle All the Way. We'll get there. And he's all he was in Pee Wee. <laughs> he's Captain Carl. Stop it. <laughs> anyway. You got this angry, mean air conditioner. You guys really have an attachment for that kid, don't you? Yes, he was our master. Well, that's real nice. And any day now, he might come romping back, huh? Just come whistling right back in through that door and everything will be the same. Real peachy keen-like. He's doing like a 
Who's the guy in The Shining? Jack? Johnny? J- J- Jack Nicholson? Yeah. He's doing like a Jack Nicholson. Yeah. And, and, and then it just gets more and more upset. At least we try to be optimistic. Optimistic? Somebody untie the knot in this guy's cord. Why don't you just shut off? They're yelling. They're yelling. Mm-hmm. I think you're jealous. Sure, I'm jealous of a bunch of dimwits. Them? Yeah, because the master never played with you. Because you're stuck in the wall. And that that sets him off. Yeah, he, be, he becomes like a crazy conspiracy theorist who who d- destroys himself from the inside. It's back to that stupid static again. You think I don't know what's going on in here? I know what goes on in this cottage. It's a conspiracy. And every one of you low watts is in on it. Just because you can move around, you think you're better than I am. I'm not an invalid. I was designed to stick in a wall. I He's like spitting sparks, smoking. Help it if the kid was too short to reach my dials. He's destroying the wall around him. And then he he kills himself. Yeah. He just goes out and dies. Yeah. And that's like within the first fifteen minutes of this movie. Yes. And uh, also, I'd like to point out that it's because of what Toaster said. Our words carry weight. Yeah. Stupid little Toaster. You're jealous. You're jealous because you were never given any attention by the person who owned us. Yeah. <laughs> you weren't loved as much as we were because they came up here in the winter and they didn't need an AAC. Yeah. So this scene, like, I, I remember watching this and like within 15 minutes of watching this as a, like high school student, I'm like, oh. <laughs> That left a dirty taste in my mouth. Like, I feel really bad for that that air conditioner. He's dead. He died in this children's movie. Yeah. Really, in like, to spite the main characters. Yeah. And and, and then I'm going to rant. I'll, I'll, I'll step up to the, the most terrifying moment in this movie. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's a there's a, a sequence where the, 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 the gang is discovered by this short little man. He's a junker. So he collects junk from the woods, brings it back to a shop, you know, uh, dismantles appliances and then sells the parts, mm-hmm. right? So they they get put on a shelf in this back room and uh, this guy who owns the shop, someone comes in, he's looking for a blender motor. Padre, I am in deep need of a blender motor. <laughs> a blender motor? Why, sure. I got a whole shipment of blender motors in last week. Oh, boy. Heaven sent you to me. <laughs> I kept that in there. Heaven oh sent you to me. Anyway, I named that clip Blender Murder. <laughs> because the, the the shop owner that proceeds to take his blender and you only see it in silhouette, like as a shadow on the wall. And he is like tearing this thing apart in the most like grotesque yeah like surgical like murderous way yeah it's really unsettling yeah like he pulls out like a long strand i don't even know what part of a blender has a large yeah like like, it's just a wire yeah like the belt of it or something right and he like snaps it like someone would do like a like a nerve or so i don't know it's very (laughs) it makes it's it's queasy and uh so another just Weird thing that I didn't bat an eye out as a kid, but mm-hmm. this scene is deeply unsettling. They watched 
him rip the heart out of some of another creature that was sentient. Yes, and uh, it put the fear of death <laughs> fear. in them. Yeah. And so they had to escape. But the most terrifying moment in this movie is in the form of a dream sequence where the yeah. blender, the, the blender, <laughs> the toaster has a nightmare. Can you describe this nightmare? Um, it starts off as any nightmares do, as a good dream, where he's sitting in the cottage and he sees the little master, he pops some toast for the little master, he takes it, the master takes the toast and he's sitting there like, ah, my purpose is fulfilled. And then it starts to get smoky. Yeah, the blender is... Nope, kept the toaster. On. The toaster is kept on. The toaster is kept on. Nothing's in it, but it's burning something and there's smoke everywhere. And then the house is catching fire. And then... A fireman comes to help uh, put it uh, out. A terrifying clown dressed as a fireman emerges from the fire. He looks like the most terrifying character He's ever. All teeth and gums and red lipstick with white powder. Yeah, so face. if you've got a, a clown phobia, this is already like, like. Yeah, I like. I don't have that, but it was not fun. No, and and then this is what he says. That's it. And that's the most, because you expect him to like maniacally laugh like yeah. the Joker or Pennywise and like be all like creepy. It's so terrifying that this huge, hulking, creepy figure just whispers, run. Yeah. Like, nope. Even sitting there Ultra we close it, up. I feel like I keep forgetting it because this is the second time we watched it. I forgot that he did that. And yeah. we're sitting there. I was like, I don't like it. And the toaster is like running from him. The fire, like, the fires are, like, chasing after him. They become, like, forks, like, raining down on him. Yeah. And he ends up, like, dangling from the the hook of, a, like, a, a shower curtain mm-hmm. above a bath that's While full. plugged in? Yeah, and, like, he falls into the water. And, you know, you fall, you put a toaster in the, in the bathtub, it's going to, you know, Oy. shock and kill something. Yes. It's just deeply unsettling it's so mm-mm. so now whenever people talk about oh, i remember that movie from a kid i was like do you remember how dark it was <laughs> <laughs> and there were like even dark moments that weren't like terrifying like like the, the whole thing with the flower that was beautiful it was also just sad dark like yeah, yeah there's a I, I really like this movie this scene in the movie because it's very poignant yeah the toaster like basically like takes a a, a, a quick recess from like a musical number and he like um, like goes under the shade of a big tree and there's this little rose or, or yeah it's a, like a marigold yeah a little flower that's all alone under this tree and the toaster like kind of like backs into it and the the flower notices its reflection in the toaster and is like trying to hug the toaster because he thinks it's found a companion a friend yeah because the, it's all alone under the tree like between the roots there's nothing else growing there and the toaster just says like no, get away from me. And he takes off and he looks back through the bushes to see this flower who's now completely sad and de- destroyed. Like, had hope and it was yanked away and you just watch petals fall from it as it like limps listlessly to the side yeah. and you watch it die. And don't pick flowers because they're also sentient. <laughs> so like it's like a really sad moment. I don't know why they put it in there. Like, But it's just like this movie has just these weird like dark yeah. emotional scary moments yeah you you i remember you said like the 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 reason they put it in was supposed to be so that the toaster could like 
realized he was being too mean to the blanket. That's that's like maybe a pers- like a, a theory or a, a yeah. Like a, it doesn't it doesn't read that way to me. Yeah. Like it's just like that was sad and about loneliness and about how man is not meant to be alone. Yeah. <laughs> so just weird. This is it's just. This movie's really dark, and if you don't believe me, go find it. Good luck trying to find it. It's Unless not- you have chlorophobia, in which case, when you see the little boy in the toaster, just skip it. Not the grown man in the toaster, which happens later yeah. at skip the end the, of the movie. Skip the dream sequence. Um, all right, let's we're gonna let's close let's close out this segment with uh, talk about the music because this yeah. is a musical. It, it, it kind of you forget. I yeah. forget every time. Yeah, it kind of sneaks up on you. But uh, there are. Four original songs. Uh, only four? Only four. Are you sure there wasn't 17? <laughs> Are you sure? There are four. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure. <sighs> the first song is completely forgettable. It's like this happy-go-lucky, uh, we're on an adventure type song. I didn't even get it. I didn't even capture it because I hate it. <laughs> it sucks. Um, they uh, all suck. Yeah, the, the, next, the last one. The next song is a takes place in the back room of the shop where the blender gets murdered. Yeah. And it's all of the appliances in the storeroom singing about how this is a terrifying place to be and we're all like misfit toys, you know, waiting to die. Right. Uh, it's called It's a B Movie. <sighs> Which is a terrible name and also has a terrible chorus, but I like how like like it sounds like thriller. Monster Smash. Yeah, yeah, Monster Mash, Thriller, uh somebody it always feels like all somebody's heavy, watching me. Yeah. You know? All that heavy orchestra organ. Organ, yeah. You must be the new boys in town. What's that sound? Is someone moving around? Sit down for a spell. So it's just, yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of like... I was like, I was like, you play a second more, I'm muting my okay. headphones. Let me get to the chorus. <laughs> Let's listen to the chorus. <laughs> this is it. The chorus. It sounds like a Bonnie Tyler, like, power ballad or like a... I don't know. <laughs> it's it's not a great song, but it's I don't know. I I, I appreciated it for how eighties it is. It is very that. I'll turn it off. That's you don't have anything else to say about it. You just you it's, just don't like it, and I like it. I no, I don't. I don't like it. I don't like it. I think it was <clears throat> all of them are forgettable to me. Really, except the last one. So it's just kind of like okay, this is a thing that's happening. I just kept wanting to go to sleep. Like I mean, and, and the animation during these music sequences are, are usually pretty good like the one here it's a b-movie features a bunch of like you know uh appliances frankenstein. That have, yeah frankenstein appliances that have been like torn apart or like combined with other things and mm-hmm. they're all like this is interesting designs yeah um the next song is called cutting edge and it takes place in the master's apartment i think i hated the song the most i like <laughs> i don't like it the most but i definitely like this I song this is the most 80s one. of all 80s songs it sounds like dire straits <laughs> Or uh, Devo starts like this. This is not synthesizer. It's a, it, the song is about all of the master's modern appliances singing about how great they are compared to these like old like rags. Dislike it so heavily. Yeah, let me let me skip ahead a little bit. Here we go. It's got like that, like electronic percussion, like do 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 do, right? You, so you've heard like the electric drums before, right? <clears throat> Phil Collins. Yeah. 
<laughs> to LEDs, to CRTs, <laughs> like those are all things that I know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, and it, like there's a bunch of like just mo- 80s modern, yeah. right? Where it's like very garish. I don't know. I, I, the 80s aesthetic is like hilarious to me. Blocky, big, yeah, yellow. <laughs> yep. Uh, like that, that's bad. and then there's like some computer magic school bus. <laughs> There's, like, uh, computer graphics approximated, you know, with, like, vectors and, mm-hmm. and, like, lines and things like that. So it's, like, this is a, like, if you want a, like, quick music video for what, like, the 80s was, like, trying to look like, mm-hmm. look up Cutting Edge from this movie. Yeah, I mean, And yeah. then watch Dire Straits as Money for Nothing, because I feel like they're, they fit <laughs> in the same uh, family. All right. Definitely. And that brings us to the final song from the movie, which is called Worthless. You wanna you wanna introduce this one? It's worth something. Oh wait. <laughs> yeah, well, what's... So um, they are they have been booted from the master's new place by the uh, modern uh, appliances and are now at a dump getting ready to get crushed. And while they're getting ready to get crushed, they're hiding from this huge magnet taking them um, to the belt of crushing. And a bunch of cars start singing because they're all dilapidated and so are all going to be turned into small blocks. So we are listening to the last words, sentences, and thoughts of these very sentient beings talking about the lives they had before they are brutally crushed to death. Uh, Listen to the first two, like, verses here because it's just, like, two different cars singing about their life. I can't take this kind of pressure. I must confess, one more dusty road would be just a road too long. He's ready to go. And it sounds co worthless. I just can't seem to get started. Don't have the heart to live in the fast lane. All that is past and gone. Worthless. It's a song about, like, accepting death. Yeah, like, I've done all the good or bad I can do in the world. Yeah, just just put me out of my misery. Yeah. And, for, I, you know, I guess, like, you know, for, for appliances, like, you could live a long, 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 long time. Yeah. You know, like, sometimes just ready, you, you're ready to go. Recycle, reuse. Uh, yeah, and then throughout this entire song, we get, like, breaks of Chris and Master. Does the Master have a name? I don't think so. The Master and Chris in the junkyard looking for stuff and that's when he happens upon his his stuff his appliances and we have this very tense moment where the master gets accidentally like crushed under some debris and he's about to be crushed by the the car crusher yeah it's coming up and down and he's like getting closer and closer on a conveyor belt to be you know crushed to death and so the toaster proving his name bravely jumps into the gears of the crusher to stop it from killing the master yeah and, uh, you know, that's that's the, the climax of the movie. I was reading that that scene, a similar scene happens in the book, like mm-hmm. halfway through the book, you know, halfway through the story. Yeah. So the the creators were like, no, move towards the end. That's yeah. the climax of the movie. That seems climactic. Because, like, appliances, like, that's where they'd go to die is the dump. Yeah. The the. So they that's where you got to set the end you of the movie. You thought Toy Story 3 did it first? The, so that's another thing about this movie is like there's so much Toy Story DNA mm-hmm. and I I that, that's a good segue into the legacy of this movie because 
pretty much every person who touched this movie, like, or who, who had a hand in making it in this version, went on to work for, Di- like, Disney, Pixar, Don Bluth film. Like, every animated, like, hit after this movie, somebody worked on it from this movie. Mm. Um, even the, direct, uh, the, the, the composer, David Newman... He was, like, nominated for an Oscar for Anastasia, you know? Like, <laughs> everybody who worked on the Brave Little Toaster went on to do great things afterwards. <laughs> and what, what, I, what I mean by that, I think when Pixar went to make Toy Story, they had Brave Little Toaster on the back of their minds. That's fair. I can yeah. definitely see that. It's There's... less dark, but we see the, um, the, the man... Uh, the man who took the heart of the blender out as Sid. Mm-hmm. Um, we see um, the toaster as Woody, a rude guy trying to keep status quo. <laughs> Blanky as Buzz. Yeah. Um, loosely, very loosely. But, you know. Yeah, and then the Toy Story 3 ends at the dump. Like, yeah. where characters accept their death. You know? Yeah. <laughs> There's... It's, it's, it's interesting. I don't know. I, th- I feel like the grasp of the Brave Little Toaster uh, lives on to this day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so before I get into like the long history, like the legacy of this movie, um, the release history is something. Okay. This movie was not released theatrically. We have a rule about that. So no, it was produced in 1987 with the full intention of re- distributing it as a... Like a theatrical movie, right? But Disney, who had invested in the television rights, did not want competition. So they moved the television premiere date up, basically ending any prospects for a theatrical thing. It's like, because movie theaters have rules where it's like, you can't put the TV, you can't put a movie on television or release it on home video before this date if you're going to release it in theaters. So Disney like moved up the television air date. To the point where it, like, couldn't be released in theaters. So Disney (laughs) sabotaged the movie. That they funded. They funded, yeah. So, basically, the movie first aired February 27th on the Disney Channel in 1988. Wow. But it was, like, all the records say that this is a 1987 movie because that's when it was completed and with the intention of being released. And I guess maybe there were, like, some, like, test screenings festivals mm-hmm. I, I presume so we're gonna count this as a 1987 movie because you've made me watch it twice yes we are yes we are uh <laughs> and, and it was released in home video in 1987 i believe wait it was released as a video in 87 and then showed on tv as a premiere like so nobody had seen it i i I'm, before they bought it my I'm, I'm fuzzy on the dates here it's fine you know what it was it's a, fine either way like disney channel definitely aired it in 1988 mm. And I don't know if the home video came out before that or not. Okay. But either way, this is a 1987 film. It is regarded as such. All right. And that is why we are talking about it for 1987. I see that you brought this up last as we've already <laughs> finished yeah. the talking of all this. And yep. you didn't say any of it before. Um, as far as reception goes, the movie has was kind of like under the radar, I think, by design at the time of its release. But modern appraisals have been very nice to the movie. Oh, that's nice. Yep, it's been described by internet reviews as among the finest animated films Disney never made. <laughs> Arizona Daily Star called it the Bla- called it Blade Runner for children. 
I don't understand what that means. I've only seen Blade Runner once. I, I have no idea what that comparison is, but hey, that's what the critics said. Nobody forced anything to kiss anything in this one. Uh, it was nominated for a primetime Emmy in 1988. Okay. For the TV premiere. Um, and we've talked. We've already talked about the two sequels that were released, and apparently a fourth film has been discussed. No. <laughs> no. And there's even been talk of making it a CG animated film. No. <laughs> no. This is like Land Before Time. No. Yeah, but no, Hi. nothing. No. Nothing's entered production. So good. Yeah. And that's that's. I brave. mean, right now all you can make is animated films. That's Brave Little Toaster. Ah. Would you recommend it? No. I I, I would. I, That's I, know you, fine. I, I think, hey, listen, compared to all of pretty much a majority of Disney movies from the 80s, this is better than most of them. Okay, but who would you recommend it to? Kids? No. <sighs> That's the thing, right? Yeah. Like, where you're just like, who, like, oh, my uh, friend Pebbles, uh, hey, yeah, you have a son that's two. Let them watch. No, no. Yeah. And then as an adult, like, hey. Want to be freaked out by a clown? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, th- I, th- I think you're right. Maybe there's some things in this movie. Like, if you are, if you have some kind of nostalgia for it, maybe I recommend that you go watch it again and to see how weird it is. Yeah, like, I think it's a testament to, like, people doing the thing, even though everybody was sort of out of work, and it was a rough couple of years for animation, and I think that's wonderful. But nobody's making money off of this, so I'm not going to say go see it so that yeah. artists get that's paid. That's the thing. Disney's made it hard enough to find already. Like, yeah. it's not on Disney+. Plus. Even- is it worth the effort to put in to find it, to watch it? No. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's fair. We didn't We didn't say, would you recommend Spaceballs? Absolutely not. I, I would recommend Spaceballs as a novelty if you like Star Wars and you want to see it. Just, I, if you're curious. I mean, I know people who like Star Wars and say, no. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm one of those people. I think, go look up clips on YouTube. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Movie, I to- movie, I told- movie clips on YouTube. Kids, I told you it was going to be a rough year. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been rough. <sighs> you got runners right. up? Yeah, we have runners up. So, had you told me before that this was not a uh, theatrically released movie, we would have, for you, been watching maybe Raising Arizona. I've only seen it once or twice. It's barely a runner up. Still. Yeah. Uh, Monster Squad. I love Monster Squad. Or Predator. I, I, Predator is excellent, and I, I watch the TV edit more than anything else. Like, <laughs> other, like other than Brave Little Toaster. Brave Little Toaster, I watched a bunch as a kid, but like, yeah. No, Predator's great. I, I would have rather talked about Predator or, or Monster Squad, but, you know, that's the life we live. I've never seen two of those three movies. No, I, I definitely... Rec- I, if, if like Predator is a classic and most people know about it, but like if you want a like unsung unsung gem of the eighties, go watch Monster Squad, especially during Halloween. Pristine, <laughs> pristine. Okay, maybe we'll do that this Halloween. Wait, Monster Squad is that a Disney Channel movie? No, Monster Squad. That's the under one, wraps. <laughs> no, Monster Squad's the one with the little the little boys who befriend like the monster movie, like like Frankenstein and the werewolf. Have I seen this? Yeah. Okay, I think I'm thinking. The Wolfman has Nards. Yeah. Somebody, like, commits a poku. <laughs> like... I can't remember. Yeah, I think... Okay, 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 I've seen it. Yeah, it's great. Um, What are your runners up? Princess Bride, which I've seen twice. And... Uh, okay. 
Moonstruck, which I've also seen twice. Moonstruck is Moonstruck great. is an excellent movie. Yeah. I didn't want to watch it the first time I watched it. I had a roommate, C Star, and she was like, Let's watch this. I love this. And I was like, I mean, it's your time to choose the movie, so okay, I guess. And I laughed. I cried because I was laughing. It's just a great movie. If you haven't seen it, like the first 15 minutes, like you may feel like this what is this? But push through because you get some great full cage moments. Moonstruck, I think, is like Rocky, not the movie you think it is. I've never so, seen Rocky. So, so. Moonstruck, <laughs> Moonstruck. I know you, most people when they hear that name, you think it's going to be a weird romantic comedy, which it sort of it, is. sort of no, no. It is. It's much better than that. Yeah, it, it's like a weird drama comedy, like a family. Yeah, it's great. You, you, go you look. Yeah, watch don't it. but judge the book by its cover. Oh my gosh, we'll watch it with you. <laughs> Such a good movie. Yep. Uh, okay. So I just want to know, who do you think won this section of this year? I did. I'm not going to fight you. You <laughs> know why? Yeah. Not because I agree with you, but because I believe both are equally bad. Um. So whatever you want. <laughs> hey, man. That's my wins. first official win. I think I still think I won 1985 movies, but you won't budge. No. So, hey, man. I really want... If that one, like, I would like our listeners to watch both movies and tell us what they think won for either um, Back to the Future 1 or Better Off Dead. But, but hey, Rod's on the board, 1987. Yeah, you're on the board. There's... Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Take that pity win. <laughs> I love you. Yeah. Uh... So, kids, thanks for joining us. You're going to close out with the radio voice. I am. Um, but, um... Got plugs. Oh, yeah. Plugs. I have that written here, and I didn't do it right. So, if you would like to find any of the uh, work that I do, <laughs> uh, I'm Taming Tales on YouTube. Uh, Taming Tales, two words, tales spelled T-A-L-E-S, uh, where I tell stories to video. Yep, uh, and if you want to find stuff that I do outside of the show, uh, I write for a website called ZeldaDungeon.net. Uh, if you like The Legend of Zelda, uh, you'll like what we do over there. Also, if you like professional wrestling, I host a wrestling show called Keep Kayfabe. That's K-A-Y-F-A-B-E. We follow the careers and characters of the best professional wrestlers of all time. Or at least we try to. <laughs> uh, so if that interests you, check us out on YouTube. And uh, if you want to follow more about this show, we have a Twitter, Media Made Show. At Media Made Show on Twitter. Um, also, leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know how much you like the show. I know that helps with visibility. And uh, yeah, just yeah. Keep, keep listening. iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast, because I don't use iTunes. Yeah. <laughs> podcast machine. Also, uh, you know, hey, look out for uh, the music of 1987. It's going to be a good year. Yeah, it's more than going to make up yeah, for man. the trash that was movies. It, look forward to that because we talk about the two best albums of all time. Yeah? Yeah. All right. That's the show. So uh, we're going to close out with uh, Worthless from Brittle Toaster. Ah. Uh, best song in the movie. Yes. <laughs> that concludes our broadcast day. Good night, America, and to all the ships at sea. 